0: Ask any unbeliever what the Bible says about marriage, and one of the first things that they are likely to mention is male domination. There was certainly the opinion of a woman named Liz whose story is told in a fascinating book called The Toxic War on Masculinity. Liz was a radio personality with a a radio show on the same station as notorious shock jock Howard Stern. And Liz's life was so out of control that one particular day, off air, Howard Stern looked at Liz and he said, Liz, you need to clean up your act. And he wasn't talking about her on-air show, but her off-air life. She said by her mission, she was playing dangerous games with marijuana, speed, cocaine, alcohol, and promiscuous living. But all that began to change when the Lord sent a Christian husband and wife couple to her radio station. And for the first time, Liz encountered a Christian friend. Eventually, this Christian couple invited Liz to church. Eventually, she came. I want you to imagine the scene. Here was a promiscuous, drug-addicted, card-carrying, feminist woman entering a church building for the first time in her adult life. And guess what scripture passage was preached that morning? Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husband's As to the Lord. How would you respond in that moment? Maybe for somebody in this room, this is that moment. (laughs) Maybe you're considering Christianity really for the first time or considering PBC for for the first time and you happen to show up here this morning and we're talking about wives submitting to their husbands and you're thinking, really? Really? Perhaps there are others in this room, and you're serious, committed, Bible-believing Christians, yet if you're honest with yourselves, you're a bit embarrassed by what the Bible teaches here. Couldn't you talk about something else today? Maybe you're hoping that someone will come along and explain these passages away. But no matter how difficult or uncomfortable some of these verses might feel for us 21st century Westerners. The job of a pastor is a lot like a mailman. A mailman's job, sorry, postal worker's job. <laughs> postal worker, this is a series on biblical man and womanhood. Ladies can deliver the mail too. That's you, we're so grateful for you. Postal worker's job is to deliver the mail, not to readdress it, not to throw it away, not to edit it, but to deliver it. So too, the pastor must faithfully proclaim what the Word of God says. And so with that in mind and that on my heart, the the big idea that I hope to explain to you from the text we just read in Ephesians 5 is that because men and women are equal and different, we have different roles and responsibilities in marriage. Because we're equal and different, We have different roles and responsibilities in marriage. We're gonna unpack that big idea by exploring two unique roles in marriage, two important responsibilities in marriage, and one ultimate reason for marriage. But before we dive in, just a couple of words to everyone here listening. If you're not married and don't expect to ever be, that's okay. We're so grateful that you're here today. I want you to notice that Ephesians 5 is written not to couples, but to a church. So if you're here and you never expect to be married, either you've been married and your husband or wife has passed or, or you just are lifelong single, that's totally fine. You, you are a gift from God. And yet, do you see how the local church is responsible to care about the marriages in its church? So this is for you, lifelong singles. Part of your job is to help us married folks see our blind spots and love each other better. So listen with an ear to your brothers and sisters and your church family so that you might serve them. If you're not married, but you hope to be one day, listen carefully to the type of person that God expects you to be. Men, men, Listen carefully to what God expects of a husband. Single ladies, listen carefully to what God expects of a wife. And I would challenge you as well that that you should also see in the text the particular type of person that you should look for. Ladies, there is a particular kind of man presented in our passage, and you ought to not settle for anything less than that. And men, there's a particular type of woman pictured in this passage. And and I would challenge you to stop setting your sights on everything the culture tells you to look for in a woman and set your sights here. And to the married folks in the room this morning, this sermon is not about your spouse. It's about you. Perhaps for some of you right now, that means you need to have a little bit of elbow room so that way you're not tempted to go like this at some point in the sermon. You cannot respond to God's word for your spouse, but you can respond to God's word for you. So with all that said, would you please fasten your (laughs) seatbelts? Let's begin with two unique roles in marriage. Two unique roles in marriage. A few years ago, a popular Bible teacher, ruffled some feathers when he said that the evangelical church in America is filled with same-sex marriages. Now, he did not mean that evangelical churches are filled with homosexual couples, but evangelical churches are filled with heterosexual couples where you can't tell the difference between what it means to be a husband or a wife where marriages function as if there's a generic spouse, but not a particular husband or a particular wife. But in marriage, biblically, there are two basic roles that God has assigned for men and for women. Men are called to be sacrificial heads, and women are called to be submissive helpers. Let's start with the men. Ephesians 5, says, verses 22 and 23, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, a few weeks ago, if you were with us, we saw how both Adam and Eve were guilty in the garden, but who was held responsible? Adam was. That's what it means to be a head. Even when your wife or children are guilty, you're responsible. And we see here in Ephesians 5, another head who freely takes responsibility for his bride. You and I, believers, we were very, very guilty for our sin. But unlike the first Adam, Jesus had no guilt And yet, what did he do? He took responsibility. He said, I'll I'll bear that weight for my people. That is what headship means. Bearing responsibility. Listen, if Jesus is not the head of his bride, we all go to hell. But if he is... And if he freely, gladly takes responsibility for the sin of his people, even though he deserves no blame, he takes all the responsibility, then there is hope and salvation in Christ. Man, this is a big deal. Ray Ortland defines headship this way. He says, in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. Men, I think if you're honest, you crave this sort of responsibility. I firmly believe that men are like trucks. We drive a little bit straighter and a little bit smoother when we carry a heavy load. We're meant for that, we're built for this. In his really, really helpful book called The Men We Need, Brant Hansen talks a lot about masculinity. Many of us are going to watch a game this evening and you're going to see pictures of masculinity. Catching a ball, throwing a ball, tackling people. Now, I'm so grateful when my team catches the ball and throws the ball correctly and tackles people. And yet, that is not the essence of masculinity. That's not what it is. By the way... I really, me personally, I don't fit a lot of the stereotypes of what masculinity is supposed to look like. I'm indoorsy. I I don't hunt or fish. I don't bench a lot. I don't deadlift. I don't have a pocket knife in my pocket right now. I've got a gun at home I've never shot. I could keep going on with a lot of stuff. I'm not athletic. But that's not what masculinity is, men. If you can relate to any of that, that's okay. Here's masculinity. The essence of masculinity, Brent Hansen says, is taking responsibility. That's manhood. A few months ago, I saw our brother Jeremy Collins holding two baby car seats for twin babies. I think he's hiding over there in that room over there. You guys say hi to Jeremy after the service. And I looked at him and I said, that's a man. That's a man. That's masculinity taking responsibility. So husbands, here's your challenge practically right now. The very first thing that you need to do right now in this moment is to commit, commit before the Lord that you're going to take responsibility for your marriage. Not because your wife is elbowing you in the ribs, but because the sword of the Spirit is piercing your heart. Whatever else God uncovers that's wrong in your marriage today, your job is to say, I'm going to take responsibility for that. Would you commit right now, men, in your hearts before the Lord? God, with your help, I'm going to take responsibility for my marriage. Would you commit right now in your hearts, men? Part of taking responsibility means that men are assuming God-given authority in their homes. It's part of what it means to be a head, to have authority in the home. Now, ladies, I know that the idea of male headship or male authority in the home is particularly painful for some of you because you have seen personally how evil it is when that authority is abused. In 2004, a sociologist from UVA named Brad Wilcox did a a massive study on what it looks like practically when a husband is the leader of his home. And he found two really, really fascinating things, surveying tons of married couples and looking at tons of data. He said... Committed church going men are the least likely to be physically abusive towards their wives. Praise God for that. He also found that nominal Christians, Christians that want a little bit of Jesus, but a lot of themselves, Christians that aren't really committed, aren't really all in, Christians that get enough Jesus to sprinkle over the top of their lives are the most likely Americans to physically abuse their wives. God help us. Hear me, men. Hear me. The most surefire way for you To ensure that you treat your wife with gentleness and grace is to be madly in love with Jesus. One way that churches can help eradicate the evil of domestic abuse is by teaching that not all authority is the same. I think, ladies, sometimes we're fearful of this because... We just look at all authority as the same thing, but in the Bible, it's not the same thing. Different types of authority have different textures, different feels to them. Jonathan Lehman wrote a really helpful book called Authority, and he distinguishes between two types of authority. One he calls authority of counsel and the other authority of command. Listen to what he wrote. Those with authority of counsel, like husbands and elders, do not have a biblically assigned enforcement mechanism. Those with an authority of command, like governments and parents of young children, do. So here's what he means. Governments, what do they do with unsubmissive citizens? They exercise the sword. So what Romans talks about. That's the authority of a government to discipline its citizens. When children disobey, parents have a mechanism to discipline unsubmissive children. What's it called? It's called the rod. You can read about it in the book of Proverbs. When a church member is unruly and refuses to repent and and persists in sin, the church has authority to exercise what's called the keys of the kingdom to discipline unruly members. But rack your brains, is there anything anywhere in the Bible that gives husbands a way to discipline unsubmissive wives? The answer is no, which means that your authority is different, husbands. It's meant to be handled differently. Your authority is not meant for you to get what you want from your wife, but to give all you have to serve her so that you might be one. It's a totally different kind of authority. That's what it means to be a head. Ladies, when a husband leads like this, it's far easier for you to be submissive helpers. Look at verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That word submit is a compound word. It's two words pushed together in the Greek. It's hupotasso. The word hupo means underneath. The word tasso means to arrange yourself. So it literally means to arrange yourself underneath. Now, some of us looked at Ephesians 5.21. And Ephesians 5.21 talks about the church submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. And they said that in marriage, there's supposed to be this mutual submission. It's not the wives submitting to the husbands as much as everybody's submitting to everybody else. But that's not at all what Paul's saying. Paul talks about submission in verse 21, and then he gives three examples of where submission matters. Wife towards her husband, children towards their parents, And a bondservant towards his or her master. So, this is not saying that there is no submission for a wife to have towards her husband. He's actually saying that this is a special call for a wife to align herself underneath the headship, the authority of her husband. Now, ladies, this is not about who's smarter. My wife has a higher IQ than I do. I have a PhD. She has a higher IQ than I do. It's a true story. I didn't make it up. I can show you the data. She's smarter than me. She's a better leader naturally than I am. And yet, God says, this is how I designed the family to function this is not about skill this is not about worth this is not about value it's about obedience now i want to spend a little bit more time here because submission makes women vulnerable if you read first peter chapter 3 peter talks about wives being the weaker vessel I think part of what he means is they're weaker because they're in this position of submission. Puts them in a vulnerable position. So I want to take a few minutes and answer some commonly asked questions about submission. And then I want to invite you at the end of the service, if you have more, however many you have. Ladies, men, I would love to sit here as long as I need to to help answer these questions for you. I'll be right up here for a Q&A after the service. Here's some of the main questions that I thought of. Should I submit to my boyfriend? The answer to that is easy. No. Look at the text. Wives, submit to your own what? Husbands. This is not a call for women to submit to men. It's a wife to a husband. Okay? There's nowhere in the Bible that says, women, your job is to submit to men. No. Submit to your pastors if you're a member of a church. Submit to your government, wherever you're a citizen. Submit to your husband if you're married. But no, ladies, you don't have to submit to a boyfriend. And if he tells you to, run away. Dump him and you can even blame me. (laughs) Question number two, what if my husband isn't a Christian? This is a hard, real, painful reality for some of the ladies in this room. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. As painful as it might feel, Peter's instruction to a wife married to an unbelieving husband is submit to him insofar as you can and pray that God would use your faithfulness to draw your husband to himself. himself. Are there any exceptions? Are there any exceptions to this command? Now, at first glance, the answer appears to be no. Look at verse 24. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And yet, this is an area where we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We talked about that last week. When Paul says, submit to your husbands in everything, does he mean there are no exceptions? Absolutely not. There are exceptions. I'm going to talk about two of those in a moment. I think when Paul says submit to your husbands in everything, what he means is in every area of your life. In other words, in private and in public, in spiritual matters, in financial matters, in family matters and more, wives should submit to their husbands. But that submission is not an absolute Submission. Ladies, your absolute authority is not your husband, but Christ. Jesus is a good authority. Your absolute ultimate allegiance is to him. And so, yes, there are exceptions. So what are the exceptions? Let me, I'm going to give you two, and we're going to put these on the screen so we can be as clear as possible, because it might be that there are ladies in this room that find yourself in this place right now. Here's one exception. Do not submit your husband to your husband if he is leading you or your family into sin. Don't submit to him. This is a principle that's clearly taught in the book of Acts when Peter and the apostles were arrested by government officials for preaching the gospel. They said, Stop preaching the gospel. Do you remember how they responded? Acts 5 29. We must obey God rather than men. So listen, this is not just for ladies. Every single one of us is under authority. All of us are under authority. If any authority tells you to do something contrary to the word of God, you disobey. You disobey. You follow Christ. I think it might be helpful, ladies, to learn for all of us under authority to learn to distinguish between a right-wrong decision and a better-worse decision. Decision. Here's what I mean. If your husband wants to cheat on your taxes or bring pornography into the bedroom or get drunk together or skip church or stop giving, those are right wrong decisions. Be kind and gracious, but tell him no. But if your husband has different ideas on how to educate your kids, or what sorts of food you should eat, or when bedtime should be, or where you go on vacation. These are better, worse decisions. You can talk about it with your husband. You can share your opinion. You can disagree with him. If he's smart, he'll listen to you. But ultimately, if it's a better, worse decision, not a right, wrong decision, your heart's posture will be to submit unless you can't. Second exception to the command to submit, do not submit to your husband if if he is leading you or your family into harm's way. Now, I want to be really, really careful here. I use the word harm intentionally. Ladies, you might be thinking, oh, good, my husband's plans hurt my feelings, so that means I don't have to submit. I'm not talking about temporary hurt, but long-term harm. I, I've made multiple decisions in my life as a leader in my home that have caused short-term hurt for my family. For example, the decision to move here was initially quite painful. Some of you are laughing, and you're the exact reason why. Just That was a joke. That was a joke. Those decisions caused hurt, hurt my kids, hurt my wife, to see their tears when we left a church family we loved in Louisville, Kentucky, and drive here. That caused short-term hurt, but it didn't harm them. It didn't harm them. And so Holly was right and wise and good to submit to my leadership. But what about when your husband is leading you into a decision that can cause long-term serious harm for your family. The clearest biblical example I can give of this is in 1 Samuel 25, we learn about a woman named Abigail. Her husband Nabal was a fool. And Nabal, you can read the story this afternoon in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal makes this foolish decision that's going to get his entire household killed. And you know what Abigail does? She doesn't submit. She appeals to another authority, the soon-to-be King David. And God blesses Abigail for her disobedience. And God kills Nabal the fool. The clearest present-day example I can think of is the demonic evil of abuse. Ladies, hear me. You are not called to submit to an abusive husband. God forbid. Whether he claims to be a Christian or not, if he is physically or sexually abusing you or your children, do not submit to that. Go to the civil authorities so that they can help protect you and punish his evil conduct. Now, husbands, I want you to listen to me. If you are mistreating your wives or children in that way, I hope you are terrified right now. I hope you are so terrified you break down in tears and cannot leave this room without repenting. Listen to me. PBC needs to be a a safe place for repentant sinners but not for unrepentant sin. This needs to be a place where we will deal with and expose sin and men, if you're mistreating your woman, I pray that God exposes it. And ladies, if you do the hard and painful work of exposing that demonic evil, I promise you, you have pastors and a church family that will come alongside you and help you. We're not always done well, but we will strive to do right by you. Because men and women are equal and different, we have different roles in marriage but we also have different responsibilities. So consider with me next, two important responsibilities in marriage. Two important responsibilities in marriage. How do we faithfully live out these roles as sacrificial heads and submissive helpers? How do we do it? In a summary verse, Paul tells us how to do it, what our responsibilities are. In verse 33, he says, whoever let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, those two commands are sometimes taught like this. Husbands, if you just love your wife and fill up her love tank, then she'll respect you and fill up your respect tank And the goal is, you know, just fill each other's tanks up. And if if he's not filling up your tank or you're not filling up his tank, then it's going to be really hard. And, you know, we just need to work together. Uh, There's truth there. And yet this is not primarily something that you do in order to get. This is what you do to obey Jesus. This is about submitting to Christ. Men and women, we love and respect out of allegiance to Christ. So let's consider first the husband's responsibility to love his wife. A husband must love his wife. This is not a command to love her in a sappy, romantic, Valentine's Day sort of way. That's fine to do that, men. I recommend you do something. Valentine's Day is Wednesday, that's free. (laughs) But God in His grace actually gives us some contours, some edges to see what love looks like. He doesn't just say, love your wife, and you say, great, done, check it off. He tells you how to love her. And man, I hope you'll see that this is a high and a holy calling. First, he tells us to love our wives with a sacrificing love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus love the church? By dying in her place. Men, if you have not yet sacrificed for your bride to the point of the shedding of blood, you still have more sacrificing to do. Now, none of us can sacrifice for our wives the way that Jesus sacrificed for his church, right? He was the sinless substitute. He died and his death saves us. By the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the heart of Christianity. We are so much more than what we believe about manhood and womanhood. It centers on the cross of Christ, on a God who sees us in our filth and sin and says, I will step into that and I will die to redeem my people. It's glorious good news. And husbands, you are called to love your wife in a sacrificial way like that. So husbands, are you regularly sacrificing for your bride? If your wife is regularly home with young children, do you freely give up your time so she can have time alone or with friends? Some of you have children that wake up in the middle of the night How often do you wake up so she can sleep? Are you willing to die to your personal hobbies so that she has time to pursue hers? I know a lot of men with a lot of hobbies, and I don't know a lot of women with a lot of hobbies. I think that's because a lot of women tend to sacrifice so their husbands can pursue their hobbies. Men, you should be doing the opposite. You sacrifice for her. Do you sacrifice your time to do things your wife likes to do? Or are you always doing your favorite things? When finances are tight and you need more money to keep the family afloat, are you willing to get a second job? Or do you expect her to pull extra weight? When the relationship is in conflict, who is the first one to die to his pride and confess to his bride? Hey, that rhymed. That was good. (laughs) Husbands, you need to lead by sacrificing. You need to lead in confession. You need to lead in forgiveness. Now, I challenge you, men, I challenge you to sit down with your wife sometime after the service today, Best to do this in the car before you leave the parking lot because you'll forget. And I want you to ask your wife, tell me one area in my marriage where I am not sacrificing for you like I should. Now, ladies, he's going to ask for one area, not 13. You probably got a list and that's okay. Men are not great multitaskers. So just give us one thing. Just give us one. And husbands, you need to listen to what she says. Write it down. Don't defend yourself. Take it to the Lord. And if the Lord reveals to you, I haven't done well, confess and serve. I did this with my wife this morning, and I was blessed to hear my wife say, I think you are sacrificing well. I can't think of an area. And I felt pretty good about myself as I drove in the parking lot And then Nancy Akers rebuked me for making my family walk through the rain to the door while Bobby (laughs) dropped his wife off right there. And I realized I still have work to do. Still have work to do. Husbands, love your wife with a sacrificing love. Love your wife with a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26. Jesus gave himself for the church. Why? So that he might sanctify her. That means to grow her in holiness, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, Jesus did not die for the church as his trophy wife. She wasn't that pretty. But Jesus loved her. Husbands, your love can beautify your wife or uglify her. You love your woman well and she will grow in beauty. And that doesn't mean, by the way, men, that her body will change in all the ways the magazines say it's supposed to. But she will be beautiful because she is loved. Or you can mistreat and abuse and not love your wife well and she will grow bitter and cold. I want you to notice in this sanctifying love, this beautifying love, this love that makes the church holy. I think we're called here as husbands to lead our wives in holiness, to lead our families spiritually. I think there is a sense in which husbands, this is the way you're called to lead your bride, spiritually. Everything else is kind of a subset of that. The man who fails to lead his wife spiritually is a man who is shirking his most important earthly responsibility. So husband, I want you to evaluate yourself here. Are you praying with your wife? Do you ever read the Bible together? Who leads the way in your home in terms of church involvement? On a Sunday morning when you feel like sleeping in? Do you say, honey, we'll go if you want to go? Or do you say, no, honey, we're going. Do you let your wife take you to church or do you bring her? Who's leading the way spiritually in your home? Do you know how your wife is doing spiritually? How are you helping her grow in her walk with the Lord? Who is leading spiritually in your home? Husbands, I know this is terrifying for some of you because you have godly wives. Frankly, I think most of the ladies here are a lot godlier than most of the men. Men, I love you. But ladies, Men, you are not called to lead your wife spiritually because you are more spiritual, but because you are the head. If you love her, you will love her soul. And ladies, just another word to those of you that do not have a believing husband. I'm so proud of you. Those of you that are here by yourself with your kids, faithfully gathering with God's people, keep it up. I'm praying for you. We love you. Husbands, you're called also to love your wife with a cherishing love. Look at verses 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So just like you are aware of the needs in your body, you are called to be aware of the needs of your wife and cherish her and care for her and meet those needs. Her needs are your responsibility, husbands. Now, I was thinking about this. Um, Some of you that know me well, you know that I'm not a very aware person. Things will happen around here in the church building and I won't notice it for like three or four weeks. I'm like, hey, when did that get there? You actually put it there a month ago. Oh, I forgot, sorry. I'm not a very aware person. I just, things just don't notice certain things. But as I was studying, it really convicted me because you know what I am aware about? When I'm hungry, I'm pretty aware. I'm aware of the needs in my body. And men, I think you are too. You are called to be that aware of the needs of your bride, to study her and know her so well that you cherish her and you meet those needs. Finally, we're called to love with a clinging love. Not, Not a clingy love, Ladies, you don't want your husbands to be clingy, but you want your husband to cling to you. Look at verse 31. Therefore, he's quoting Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast, cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Isn't it interesting? Even though both husband and wife are called to leave their home and form a new home together, the command isn't for the wife to leave mom and dad, but for the husband, the husband to leave and cleave. Perhaps there's a lesson there. Perhaps husbands... In our passivity, we're tempted not to leave our past behind and cling to this one woman well. Husbands, how are you doing here? Are you clinging to your bride? Have you allowed other loves to capture your eyes, your heart, or your mind? Do you expect your wife to cling to you while you remain unwilling to truly cling to her? Man, all this is what it means to love your wife. You can say, I love my wife, but Jesus would ask you, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Are you loving her like that? Ladies, what about you? A wife, her responsibility is to respect her husband. Verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Dear sisters, you have an incredible power in your marriage. You can either blow wind into the sails of your husband's leadership or you can blow against it. You can deflate him or you can build him up. Perhaps some husbands in this room have given themselves over to what one author calls toxic passivity because they're married to a woman who repeatedly deflates them every time they try to lead so they just give up. Hear me, men. You are still responsible. You're still responsible even for that. But ladies, you need to change. You need to learn to respect the decisions that he makes when he tries to lead. Do you undermine him? Do you complain about his decisions? Do you say, I told you so, when it doesn't work out? Do you respect your husband as the one that God has appointed to lead your family? One author named John Inzer helpfully explains the way this is supposed to work. He says, it is right that men should lead and women should welcome and guide that leadership. She is his helpmate. Her goal is to give her man all the help he needs to lead well. His goal is to humbly accept that responsibility to lead and not run from it or wield it like a club. The guidance that she provides comes mainly in two forms, helping him to think clearly and encouraging him to act confidently. What comes from this is a shared victory. And if it proves a mistake, it's born together. Let me show you one example, my own life of of how this works. Uh, The first five years of our marriage, I was drowning in toxic passivity. I was not leading my family well. And through a long, dark valley of sin and suffering, God broke me of my failures to lead, and slowly, one decision at a time, grew me to lead my family. But in 2016, our family was in trouble. We had four kids. Ella was just born, and I was working two jobs, the church that I was pastoring was vastly running out of money and I knew that I couldn't do this long term. I knew that I needed to have more time to invest in my wife and my children. I need to have one job and so began looking for a church to pastor and found this church in Pacwasan, Virginia and we came here for the first time and I really didn't know what to do. I I wish I could say it was love at first sight, PBC, I love you, I love you now, but I don't know that it was love at first sight. I came here and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know. And I I remember talking with Holly and praying with Holly and multiple conversations. And I really, just to be honest, I wanted her to say we're supposed to go here or not. I just wanted her to make the decision. It would have been so much easier. But Holly didn't do that. Holly said, Hobson, I will follow you and support you no matter what decision you make. I would rather you make the wrong decision than no decision. You know what that did for me? That put wind in the sails of my leadership and I knew I could make a decision and I knew that she wouldn't say I told you so if it bombed. I knew that she would be there with me and support me and by God's grace, here we are. That's what it looks like, not perfectly, But that's what it looks like. So ladies, when you respect your husband like that and you give him the opportunity to lead like that, you put wind in his sails. Some of you ladies already know that you failed here. So here's my challenge to you. Go to your husband this afternoon and confess. Tell him you're sorry. Husband, I I want you to lead, but I haven't let you. And I'm sorry. And then ask him to lead you. And then let him make a decision. And then when he makes that decision, even if you don't like it, unless it's a right-wrong decision, if it's a better-worse decision, even if you don't like it, look for something good in it to encourage. And may God use little steps like that to grow you and your husband to do this well. Now, why is all this so important? Consider finally with me one ultimate reason for marriage. Husbands and wives, I hope to some extent you feel absolutely crushed by Ephesians 5 because this is a crushing text. This, whether you're a man or a woman, is really, really hard. And it's especially hard if you're sitting in your chair this morning and your marriage is already a mess, cleaning up that mess and making it look like this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Some of you are thinking right now, maybe I can just wait it out. You know, five, 10, 40 years. All I gotta do is survive another 40 years and then I'll see Jesus, it'll be fine. Listen, you need a big vision for what your marriage could be bigger than just better in the short term you need something bigger than that and the Bible gives us that in verse 32 when Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this mystery the mystery of marriage is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church the different roles and responsibilities that men and women have in marriage are meant to point us to the gospel what a glorious opportunity that you have in your marriage, men and women. Husbands, you get to play, play, the, play the part of Jesus. When you love and lead and serve your wife well, you are showing the world this is what Jesus looks like. And ladies, you get to play the part of the church. And when you submit and support and encourage and respect your husband and his leadership, you get to show the world this is what the church, how the church relates to Jesus. I think when this is done really well, it's kind of like watching pairs figure skating at the Olympics. Now, men, I know it's bad form to talk about pairs figure skating on Super Bowl Sunday. I hate pairs figure skating, to be honest. And yet, it's a great illustration. You think about strength, the man on the ice, Throwing that woman and spinning her in the air. And beauty, his strength makes her look beautiful and glorious. He initiates. She responds. He leads. She follows. There's nobody in the sidelines chanting, oppressor. How dare he throw her? Nobody's saying, she needs to throw him now. Let's make this equal. Everybody sees that and they say, this is beautiful. This is glorious. That's what this is supposed to look like. And it points to something bigger and better than the short-term happiness of your marriage. It points to God's design for the universe, Christ and his people forever. Is that the type of picture that your marriage is displaying? Perhaps all that just feels too impossible. How can I possibly do that? Whether you're a husband or a wife, the answer is, as it so often is, to look to Jesus. Ladies, who's the best example of submission in the Bible? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at Jesus during his earthly ministry, he's repeatedly submitting to people that are infinitely inferior to him. Jesus did not submit because he was weak, he submitted because he was so strong. And ladies, it is not weakness to submit like Jesus submitted. It's beautiful, glorious strength. And Husbands, who's the perfect head in Scripture? It's Jesus. He's the one that sacrifices for his bride. He's the one that takes responsibility for her blame. He was tempted and tried for his church. He lived and died and rose from the dead and even now ever lives to pray for his people. You want to be a good head, you look to Jesus. Ladies, you want to be a submissive wife, look to Jesus. Don't leave here overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Feel that weight, then confess it, and leave overwhelmed by the beauty of Jesus. When Liz heard the sermon text that morning, and that service, I bet you could have heard her eyes rolling in her head. But then the preacher read the rest of Ephesians 5 and how husbands are supposed to love their wives. And she turned to her Christian friend and she said, if ever I met a man willing to die for me, I would marry him in a heartbeat. And her friend just whispered back, there already is a man who died for you. His name is Jesus. And right there in the middle of that worship service, In the middle of a sermon on wives submitting to their husbands, that card-carrying feminist woman gave her life to Jesus. And she submitted to King Jesus. Men and women, that's what all this is about. Husbands, we lead our wives because we're submitting to Jesus. Wives, we submit to our husbands because we're submitting to Jesus. All of this is meant to point to Him. So let's praise Him together. Would you pray with me?